If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. And um, Lord, we just ask this morning that your word would come alive, Lord. Lord, that it would be words spoken uh, from these pages, from you, from your throne, Lord, uh, directly through an imperfect speaker, Lord. Lord, let me hide behind your cross, Lord. I pray that you minister uh, to all those who are hearing this message, Lord God. And we ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is a little bit different of a text to be speaking from on Easter, but this particular psalm, Psalm chapter 2, is what's called a messianic psalm. And this messianic psalm is written by King David. Now David wrote this psalm 3,000 years ago. And this psalm is as relevant this Easter, this resurrection day, as it was 3,000 years ago. In fact, this psalm was written 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And in this psalm, the reason I selected this for today is because this psalm actually gives us a picture of the day that Jesus was crucified. And there are a lot of messages about Easter that you'll hear today. And um, many of those messages are those who see the absolute um, beauty of Easter and the absolute beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and uh, what that means to us as people of faith. And you'll see messages about those who are believers and uh, their love for this day and and. and and their absolute adoration for this day. and uh, But this message um, is for the group that is the majority group of that day. And that is the group that cried, crucify him. The group that plotted and conspired and, and those who rebelled against uh, him asserting his authority. And those who, um, those who had false trials, there were false trials overnight to even convict him of a crime that he didn't do. And uh, there were those who made up false stories. There were false witnesses. Um, and so this message is for those who um, gathered together to conspire against, as this scripture said, God's holy one, his anointed one. And um, I believe the message that I have today is the message that God um, would want to speak to those who are lost. And so as we go into this psalm, uh, we start off in section 1 of this psalm. This psalm only has 12 verses, and it breaks up real naturally into four sections of three verses. And so in the first section, it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And I want you to think about this for a second. 
In a moment, we'll go to the book of Acts, and this is the prophecy um, that they said was fulfilled on that day. It said there would be a great conspiracy against him, and everybody would be conspiring to make sure that he died. Uh, The title of my message is, Crown Him or Kill Him. And that is the question that all of us are going to have to answer in our lifetime. And many of us will say, I'll wait to answer that question. But the problem is, we'll all answer that question today. We'll answer that question this moment. We'll answer this question at the end of the day. We'll answer this question over our lifetime. And the question is, do I crown him Lord or do I kill his existence? And God is asking us this question today, and it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Another translation of verse 1 says, Why are the nations in tumultuous agitation? Living translation says, Why are, why are the nations so angry? And then it says, Why do the people meditate on a vain thing? Why? Do the people spend their time on plans that are futile? And so the first question I want to ask today is, when he says nations or heathen, that literally means the people that aren't in covenant with God. So at the time, it would have been the Jewish people who were in covenant with God. This is the word goyim in Hebrew. And so it would also mean those who are not Christian because we're in covenant with God. And so it says, why are those who are not in covenant with God, why are you so angry? And today I ask the same question. There were a lot more people on that day that were angry with the Messiah, wanted to see him dead, wanted to see his memory removed from the face of the earth than there were those who were adoring his death. And so I want to ask the question today first, Where does this anger against God come from? Because if we look around the world, we see the same anger against God and his anointed. And we see the whole world is up in arms, and the whole world is devising a plan to have a world without God. And so I ask you today, where does that anger originate? Where does it come from? And I begin to look in the Bible, and I and I look... And the first thing that catches my attention is Satan is at war in the heavens with God. The Bible said that um, a war started in heaven. And it says Satan attacked God. He attacked his government. And Satan rebelled. And Satan hated God. Satan had an anger against God. He had an enmity against God. And somehow Satan was able to convince one-third of the angels that we are angry with God. And so we see an origin and a starting point where the Bible says, like a flash of lightning, God expelled them from the heavens. It wasn't a very big battle. God expelled them from the heavens, but God allowed them to go their own way. Then we see in the garden, we see Adam and Eve in the garden in perfect fellowship with God. And guess who shows up? The one that hated God. The one that had enmity with God. And you see, Satan 
begins to get into the minds and the hearts of Adam and Eve, and they begin to believe that God has somehow done something wrong to them. And Satan tries to stir that anger in them against God and the ways that God had taught them. Then we go just a little bit farther. We don't have to go very far in the Bible. And we see Cain and his brother Abel, and God said, Here is how you worship me. And as Abel began to worship God in the way that God expected him to worship, Cain brought a sacrifice and God did not accept it. And we see again, Cain's heart is infiltrated with the same anger against God. And Cain went his own way. And what's amazing is that God allowed Cain to go his own way and rebel against God. Cain was allowed to go away from God. And the Bible says that at the time of Adam and Eve, it said Satan would always have hatred or anger or enmity against uh, the woman and her seed, the anointed. And so we see this begin to develop in the world, and what is most amazing about it is that Satan and one-third of the angels were so weak against God that in a flash of lightning, God expelled them from heaven. A God that powerful allows one-third of the angels to rebel. He allows Adam to rebel. He allows Cain to go his own way. And then it's not very much further along, we see Noah and the flood. And as we see Noah and the flood, we see that Noah preached for a very long time and he couldn't find anybody who would repent to God for their behavior and nobody on the face of the earth would repent and God allowed it. We go a little bit further after the flood. The entire civilization is wiped out. Noah and his family resettles. They begin to repopulate the earth and it wasn't very much longer. Satan is at work with Nimrod. And another anger against God, another rebellion against God. And we see this anger over the face of the earth against the creator of heaven and earth. And we see an anger against God. And so here, the Bible asks the question, why do they hate God? Why are they angry at God? Why do they conspire and make plans that God says are futile and will fail. And so the answer is that there is a great agitator of men. There is a great antagonist against God. There is somebody in a kingdom that is always stirring this anger, this rebellion against God. And we see the greatest anger and rebellion the day that Jesus Christ carried that cross into Jerusalem. And we see this ancient anger rise up in men and say, crucify him, kill him, we'll bear false witness against him. And you see them conspired around God with this anger. But that's not the only thing we see in the Bible. In fact, I looked in an old sermon by Jonathan Edwards, and the sermon is called Man... God's natural enemies. And in this sermon, Edwards declared, men 
in general, will own that they are sinners. There are few, if any, whose conscience are so blinded that they are not sensible to the fact that they're guilty of sin. And listen to this. He said, but few men are sensible that they are God's enemies. They do not see how they can truly be called that. For they are not sensible that they wish God any hurt or endeavor to harm him any. Edwards continued, despite our human protest to the contrary, Scripture clearly decides that natural fallen man is an enemy of God. Paul, in speaking about salvation, wrote this in Romans 5.10. While we, that's us, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Colossians 1.21 says, Again, you were alienated from God and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, Romans 8, 7. So as you begin to think of the characteristics of what it means to be a friend of God, you'll recognize that at some time we did not have those characteristics. We were hostile toward God. We were angry toward God. We were rebellious toward God. We didn't even want God to live at all in our life. And Jesus comes into a mob, kind of like what we would call a few years ago a flash mob. And they were angry. They were being stirred by Satan himself. And some of you that are listening to this broadcast today, you have a natural, deep resentment toward God. And Jesus is addressing this crowd on this day, and this message in this day is for you. And as he addresses this crowd, we've answered the who that's causing them to assemble. But now we've got to answer the what. What has made them so angry at God? We know the who that's stirring them up, but what is he using to make them angry against God? And the Bible answers that question. The Bible says... Let us break the chains and throw off his shackles. Verse 3 in the New Living Translation says, Let us break his chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery to God. So Satan has riled them up, and the angry is based on, we don't want God's restrictions in our life anymore. And so a loving God who has wrote restrictions in his word because he loves us. Not for his own benefit, because he loves us. And so now we see the motive of why the world would want him dead. The Bible says that they wanted him to die because they did not want his chains or his slavery anymore. And Satan riled them up. And Satan, in fact, it says that why do they imagine a vain thing? In fact, Psalm 1 says the godly man meditates on God's law and he loves it. This word imagine a vain thing is the same word as meditate in chapter 1 of Psalms. And it says why do they meditate or premeditate a plan to remove God completely from their lives? And I think about when I hear that word imagine, 
A lot of you will think of the song by John Lennon. And he, um, many people will listen to the song and they will say, what a beautiful song. But if you listen to the lyrics, he's imagining a world without God. Imagining a world without religion. Imagining a world where there's no heaven above and no hell below. And it's the song of the Antichrist. It's the song of the world that says we'd be better off without God. It's the song of those who say, kill him, we have no place for him in our world. But this psalm is very important because the psalm does not just give a snapshot of the death of Jesus Christ. It shows the crowd that assembled around him, the crowd that had no use for him, the crowd that was angry, the crowds that wanted to destroy him, the crowd that had no use for God in their life. But it goes on further and paints a broader picture. And that picture this morning means everything. The next section, section two, God reacts to their challenge of his authority. And it says, Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, it says, The one enthroned in heaven, what is he thinking about all this rebellion and everything that they're doing to his son? It says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord will taunt them. And it says, Then he rebukes them in his anger and testifies to them in his fury. I have installed my king in Zion upon my holy mountain. God sits there, not surprised, and it says, Hey, I have installed my king on my holy mountain. God declares a thousand years before he was born on this earth that I have installed my king It is done. It's a decree. It's going to happen. So now, look back at this day of Calvary. Jesus Christ is the king that God has installed on his holy hill. And then he goes even further. That's the words of God. And then section 3 gives the words of Jesus Christ himself. Verses 7 to 9 of chapter 2. It says, I will proclaim the decree that was spoken to me By the Lord. That's his father. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Now that doesn't sound that great until you think about it. What if I told you your inheritance was all the nations of the world? And then I went a little further. And I said, the ends of the earth are your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter and you will shatter them like pottery. What God is saying here is the one that you're handling at Calvary, the one that you're is allowing himself to be spat upon, allowing himself to be abused, allowing himself to be betrayed, allowed himself to be uh, brought false witness against and beaten and battered and hung on a cross and nailed, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will rule the nations in righteousness. He will rule all of the nations. So now 
we have an issue here. Just like in the very beginning when God allowed Cain to go his way, allowed Satan to go his way, and he loved him. He allowed the wicked to go their way. He allowed them to reject God. Someone this mighty walks into Jerusalem. He knows he's the king of the world. He knows that God has decreed it. He knows that God will not change. He knows that it will happen. He knows that he'll rule the nations with righteousness, and and they treat him harshly. And Jesus, the king of the world, loves them, forgives them, says, God, don't hold it against them. The king of the world. And so now we have a problem. What, What is the anger of the nations? In fact, Acts 4 says, here's the prophecy fulfilled. Peter and John were released. This is Acts 4.23. Peter and John were released. They went back to the people, reported all, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to the sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke, listen to this, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Why do the heathens rage? The people plot in vain. The kings of the earth Rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and ask, and against his anointed one. Indeed, listen to this, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. They conspired against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. God already knew how they were going to treat his king. They already knew how they were going to treat his Messiah. Now listen to this. When Jesus Christ returns very soon, he's going to set up a kingdom. That kingdom, he will rule with an iron scepter. That means there will not be any separation of church and state. That means that it will be a kingdom that is ruled by righteousness. That is a kingdom where no wicked or allowed to enter. So now when we look at Jesus, in fact, it says this. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 10, listen very carefully. This is the reality of the cross. Paul said, do you not know that wicked people will not inherit the kingdom of God? Stop deceiving yourselves. People who continue to commit Sexual sins who worship false gods, those who commit adultery, homosexuals or thieves, those who are greedy, those who are drunk, those who use abusive language, those who rob people, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this. Such were some of you. But you have been washed and you have been made holy. You have received God's approval in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord. Listen to me very carefully. Some of you are so angry at God. You don't trust God that he can take away all of your sins. And God is crying out to the rebellious today. If you look at the death of Jesus Christ even though they rebelled, even though they hated him, even though they were angry against him, even though they loved their sins more than they loved God, 
God said, still, I will make you whole. I will still forgive you of all your sins. I will wash you. I will clean you up. But make no mistake about it. The kingdom that is coming will be a righteous kingdom. And those who reject Jesus Christ because of their sins will not be in that kingdom. It is an inevitable kingdom, and it's a kingdom that cannot be stopped. It's a kingdom that God has decreed and is sure as he was on the cross, he's going to return as the king of all the earth. And he will set up his kingdom on this earth, and it will not be a secular kingdom. It will be a righteous kingdom. And he finishes off in the last section, and he says, Therefore be wise, O kings of the earth. Be admonished, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Yes, that said fear. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in your rebellion. When his wrath ignites in an instant, blessed are all those who take refuge in the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't you love the snapshot that gives of the beginning and the end of Jesus Christ? I want you to really think about what our Lord did for us. But those who are rebellious, those who are angry at God, those who don't believe um, that God is able to help you or change you and don't want God to help you and change you, I want you to see uh, the true nature of a God who is going to rule and reign, who came as a humble servant and received all the punishment of the rebellious, all the punishment of the angry, and still said, I love you with all of my heart.